Well, years ago, John Lennon had a hit song titled, Imagine. And the uh, opening lyrics are right out of the bat. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Jesus had a slightly different view of that. You can listen to the ideas of John Lennon on heaven and hell if you want. Or you can listen to Jesus. Jesus often pointed out that not calculating where you will spend eternity would be a colossal mistake. Now Jesus is teaching and there are Pharisees in the area. And the Pharisees had this philosophy that if, if you were wealthy, it meant God's blessing on you and it meant that you were in a good relationship with God. It marked your godliness. And if you were poor, it meant God's curse on you and it meant that you had done something horrible. And Jesus was always blasting away of that kind of theology in this world. He did not accept that rich men were somehow better than the poor. So he tells a parable. Now, is it a parable? Or is it a story? Jesus often announces before he tells a parable that he's telling a parable. He doesn't say that here. In fact, what's going to be different about today's story is that he's going to use a proper name. And in no other parable has he ever done that. In all of the Bible, the only man who tells parables is, guess who? Jesus, period. Now some people would tell you, yeah, that, that's not important that he gives a name. It's still just a parable. Others say, no, this is really important because it means that this story really happened. And that's curious to me. You might be a guest with us today, and you're, you're going to be, you know what, I prayed all week uh, for the guests who would be in our service today. Because if, if I had my choice of sermons to preach to uh, visitors, uh, I'm not so sure this would be the one. But I know that sometimes God just maneuvers and works and uh, puts people in here at different times that I have no control over uh, when you're going to be here and uh, you can get upset with me. We're in a series of sermons. We're walking through the life of Jesus uh, through the book of Luke. I laid this thing out uh, two years ago. Got the elders to approve it and now we're right in the middle of it in Luke 16 and I had no idea you were going to be here on this Sunday. And so right away, that begs a question, if there is a God, why would he have wanted me to hear this sermon? That's the right question. Thank you, Ron, for asking it. <laughs> Verse 19 of Luke 16. Here we go. Jesus is speaking. He's telling a story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. And by the way, anytime you see purple in the Bible, it means royalty. And he had fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. And at his gate... Gate implies it was a really large estate, was laid a beggar named Lazarus. And that word laid in the original Greek actually means dumped. Somebody came up and dumped this poor beggar. He was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Ah! The dogs in this story show the depth of this poor man's miserable condition. Jesus wants you to understand how poor his condition is at this point. He can't even fight the mutts off. And if licking sores grosses you out, it should. A dog will lick anything and then try to lick you. <laughs> Sorry my mind went there. I, I don't know why I said that. 
<laughs> today, you know, our world today, dog is man's best friend. In Jesus' day, they were, they were a pest. Uh, in fact, to call somebody a dog was one of the worst things you could call them in Jesus' day. And uh, yet today, if you call somebody dog, it's a statement of friendship. What's up, dog? <laughs> See how cool I am? Does, does the rich man know that the beggar is at his gate? Of course he does. And he's ignoring him. I've done that. Haven't you? Haven't you at one point in your life seen a beggar on the side of the street and you just walked by, tried not to make eye contact? Yeah, I have. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. All right, Jesus uses a very popular expression to mean eternal life for the Jews who are listening to his story. Here's what you need to know about Abraham's bosom. Uh, today, archaeologists have uncovered several ancient Hebrew tombs and literally inscribed on those tombs, it says, asleep in Abraham's bosom. That's what it says. And so this was a catchphrase back then. All it means is, is eternal life. When you die, you don't go to Abraham's side. You go to be with Jesus. But it's a catchphrase that he's tapping into here. So both these men die, and they're both carried to their eternal destination. One goes to heaven, one goes to hell. Maybe you're sitting here today going, I don't even believe in hell. A man this week I read about was in a car accident where he slammed into the bottom of a Shell gas station sign, and he knocked the S off. And when he woke up, he was a little frightened to read hell. Open 24 hours. <laughs> Critics can debate the reality of hell. Skeptics love to reject it. I believe in hell because Jesus did. If you wonder about the afterlife, you should get the truth from somebody who knows. And that's Jesus, period. I do a lot of funerals in this community. Uh, the funeral homes here in town use me often for when there's a family who d doesn't have a connection to a minister. I cherish those opportunities. We've had people find their way into our ministry because I served them during a funeral. But I hear some of the strangest things at funerals sometimes about their loved ones. Oh, our loved one is now up in heaven playing golf. They don't know that. If you want to know something about the afterlife, you ought to go to somebody who knows about the afterlife. Verse 24. So the rich man called out to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Wow, Jesus is telling this story. Remember that. And it, am I reading this right when you look at this? Is the rich man still treating the poor beggar like he's his servant? Like the rich man is still better than him, even in the condition he's in right now? You tell Lazarus to come serve me. And how broken is his thought process right now to think that just a drip of water will somehow bring some level of comfort? It identifies the, the strength of the agony of the flames, but it does something else too. It shows you how horribly 
He has diagnosed his own condition. This isn't about physical thirst. It's about spiritual thirst. And he totally missed it. And there might be some people in here today who have missed your spirit is thirsty for what Jesus offers. The Bible says that our spirits pant like a deer panting for water. Deep inside your spirit, your, your spirit is hungry to be connected in this way. Now these two men died and they were carried off. And there's some things I'm going to say now that will not agree with some of your church backgrounds. But I need you to notice this. There was no purgatory in this story. There was no reincarnation in this story. There was no second chance like the movies. And there was no non-existence. These men died and they immediately were carried over and they were awake and they were alert and they were aware of everything that happened and it happened immediately after they died, according to Jesus. Hmm. Verse 25, but Abraham replied to the rich man, son, uh-oh, do you know why that word son is so important in Jesus' story? Because that identifies this rich man as a Jew. See, if the Pharisees who were listening to this story thought, well, this is just some rich Gentile, no wonder he ended up in hell. No, to be a son, to be a son of Abraham, oh man, we know what that meant. That meant you were of a Jewish nation. You were part of God's holy people. Son, he says, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received his bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. You know what? You had all these good things, but you spent all of them on your own comfort and your own concern and you did not even reach out to one person who was hurting. You never helped a beggar. How can that pay off for you? It can't. Verse 26, and besides all this, Abraham says, between us, and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed. And the key word there is fixed. So that those who want to go from here to there to you cannot, and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. When you die, your condition is fixed. By the way, when you die, your body will be buried. Your body decomposes. That's the natural order of things. But according to Scripture, the real you, your spirit, your soul, goes on to one of two places. For the person who's rightly connected to Jesus, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for those who are not rightly connected to Jesus, you wake to the worst nightmare you could possibly imagine. Verse 27, the rich man answered, Well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. He's still treating Lazarus as a servant. For I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Well, all right, if this rich man has one redeeming quality, it is right here. He's concerned about his brothers. For years, preachers preach things that are in hell that I wish were in the church, and this is one of them. I wish there was a concern for people's lost souls in the church and in our lives. But in this place, it's too late to change all of that. And so he goes on to say, verse 29. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from, from the dead goes to them, they will repent. <laughs> the rich man in hell is saying that the word of God, the prophets and Moses, that's not enough to tell people. 
Boy, if they saw a dead person, that would really change things. If a corpse came up to your door and knocked on your door, would that change you? <laughs> of course it would. <laughs> I'm not apologizing for that. That was good. No, we've heard it over and over and over again. Well, if I could just see one miracle, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. If you're not a believer already and you saw a miracle, you'd walk out of here going, I can't believe what I just saw. Yeah. And so this guy has this philosophy, if they saw a dead person, verse 31, but Abraham said to the rich man, if you do not listen, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, that ends the story, but these were Jesus' words. Even if they see someone rise from the dead, they still won't believe. In a divine coincidence, Jesus raised a man from the dead before this happened, and the Pharisees know it. And in a co divine coincidence, that man's name was Lazarus. And the fact that they knew Lazarus came back from the dead, did that change any of these Pharisees? Just the opposite. In John chapter 10, it tells us that they were not only trying to kill Jesus, they tried to kill Lazarus a second time. Isn't that curious? Got a lot of people who do not believe the account of Jesus' resurrection and they're trying to kill him off from our world. Not only do I not believe in him, I don't want anybody else believing in him either. And they're trying to kill Jesus a second time. Jesus comes back from the dead too. But that won't be enough proof for some people. Jesus' words could not be more true in that last statement. Now, let's stop for a moment. Can you believe the mastery of Jesus' storytelling? He is a storyteller like none other. We have never had a storyteller like Jesus. Inside that parable, there was such a series of flip-flops. It's just incredible. You've got to stop for a minute and marvel at how Jesus weaved that story together. In the beginning, there was a poor man, but he becomes rich. There's a rich man who becomes a beggar. <laughs> there's a poor man who has no food, he's starving, and there's a rich man who has so much food that it's falling off his table. And then suddenly, there's a poor man who is satisfied and full, and there is a rich man who becomes the beggar. Give me just a drop, just a drip of water. There's a rich man who is a somebody, and a poor man who is a nobody, and suddenly there's a poor man who becomes a somebody, and a rich man who becomes a nobody. There is a rich man who is surrounded by dignitaries in his life and a poor man who is surrounded by dogs. And suddenly, the poor man is in the company of dignitaries and the rich man is in the place with the worst of dogs. In our world today, this rich man would have been on People magazine and everybody would have marveled. And the beggar today, nobody would have known his name. But in eternity, everybody knows the name of Lazarus and nobody knows the rich man's name. Who tells a story like that? Only Jesus. So how can you know what the truth is about after you die? How can you know what the truth is? All right, this is your chance to yell back at me. Wait, wait till I ask a question, all right? You can yell out the answer, who killed, who assassinated Abraham Lincoln? John Wilkes Booth. Okay? How do you know that, by the way? Were you there? Did you witness it? Do you know anybody who was there? Yeah, I made a bet this morning, unless you go on, online, I'll bet that not one of our services can name one witness by name who was there.
Can you? No. Okay, you win. I don't know if he's right. He might just be throwing out a name, but... All right, you don't have to give offering today. That's too late, I know. No, we don't know the people who were there, and we don't know the names. How do you know that John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln? Well, you read it in a history book. Come on, Ron. It is a well-documented history. We trust the eyewitnesses. I just read about it, but I believe it. Do you now? The same could be said of Jesus' resurrection. Do you know that? Oh, come on, Ron. It's only found in one book, the Bible. That, that just shows uh, how you don't understand the Bible. The Bible is not just one book. This is a library of books. There are 66 different books in this, in this work, 44 different authors from, 150, uh, from 1,500 years of history. And how many of the books in this library talk of resurrection? Thirteen. So it's pretty well documented. I can name the witnesses to the eye to the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's usually a big shocker. Five hundred witnesses, not just twelve men who made up a lie. Five hundred witnesses saw Jesus alive. Do you know what that means today? That means more people saw Jesus alive after he was dead than the witnesses to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And you buy that story as the truth. For me, I trust the Bible. I trust the eyewitnesses. And then years ago, and I've told this story before, but there's new people here. Years ago, I was watching a PBS special on world religions, and they were just going through all these different world religions. They were talking about the founder of those religions and then showing the background of how it happened and then showing those places of worship. And then in every situation, at the end of that religion, they would always end up at the same place, a tomb. And there'd be people outside the tomb, they'd be bowing or burning incense or paying some kind of tribute, but everybody knew that the dude was still in the grave. They knew that. And they did that after religion, after religion, after religion, and finally they got to Christianity and they talked about Jesus. And then they showed the Holy Lands and then they showed churches all over the country, all over the world. And then they ended up at the tomb of Jesus. And you know what? That tomb is empty. Who are you going to listen to when it comes to truth about the afterlife? <laughs> I made up my mind years ago. The dude who can beat death, that's a guy I'm going to follow. And that's why I'm here today. And that's why many of you are here today too. And according to Jesus, when you die, you are awake and aware and alert and in one of two places, heaven or hell. The good news is, though, is that you and I get to choose. Maybe you were blessed as a child to have one of those dads who carried you to bed when you fell asleep. I have, I have some memories of that. I'd play hard all day long and then maybe in front of the television I'd fall asleep or on a sofa or in a car ride home and, and then my mom would say you know you better carry him in and my dad in those big strong arms would swoop me up and carry me to bed I, I knew it happened a few times because I woke up but I kept my eyes closed it just felt so good to be carried to bed I wish Bonnie would do that for me <laughs> 
I didn't even have that written in there. That was just ad lib right there. If you have a quality memory like that of your dad carrying you to bed, it's, it's pretty powerful. For a Christian, that's what death is like. You die in this world, and then you're carried to the next, and you suddenly realize that Jesus was tender enough and quiet enough and peaceful enough and strong enough to carry you over. Unlike the rich man in today's story, it's not too late for you today. It was too late for him to change his circumstances, but it's not too late for you. You still have time to make the right decision. And if there really is a heaven and a hell, if there really is, how important is it to you today? How important it is it to your child? How important is it that you teach your grandkids the truth? Oh, to connect your life to Jesus. It pays dividends upon dividends. You'll never regret being connected to Him.